0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Merry Christmas to you. Happy holidays. And here's what we're going to be talking about today as we'll check in with Mike Steenhook, the Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. A lot of talk about uh, infrastructure again, uh, the Word of Bill. We'll get an update on that. Uh, key Positions being filled by President-elect Biden. How will they impact infrastructure and transportation? We'll talk about all that with Mike Steenhook. We'll also be talking some biofuels issues with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. We have the Brazil situation with Brazil imposing a 20% tariff on U.S. ethanol. And, of course, we have uh, ongoing issues uh, in the ethanol industry over uh, the RFS and Uh, We'll get an update on all those issues with Brian Jennings a little bit later on. And we're going to talk about the huge challenge of feeding and helping the food insecure in this country, especially during this holiday season and especially during a pandemic. We'll be talking with Feeding America about that challenge and the ongoing efforts and how you can help and how you can get involved in helping. All that coming up on today's program, but let's get the latest from Washington, D.C. as we check in with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, first of all, how's the weather there?
2: Well, today it is bright sun, and I'm actually sitting on the street outside a cafe where I've just gotten a cup of coffee, uh, and I'm going to walk to the gym. And uh, But last night it was really horrible with first snow. The snow was beautiful. And then we got freezing rain, which is one of the most terrible weather things we get here. So it was very dangerous last night, but it's looking up today. It's supposed to be 40 degrees by afternoon.
0: I've been in Washington, D.C. during a snowstorm, and that place can empty out in a hurry. It can become like a ghost town. Is that what happened, or are people venturing out?
2: No. Well, today people are venturing out because there's not, there's not much snow, and, and, and it, as I said, it's bright sun. I'm hoping that it's because it's a sunny day, it will signal that Congress will finish the omnibus appropriations bill and the, and the COVID relief package, although there have been some reports they might have to work into the weekend. But if they do that, then they've got to pass another temporary continuing resolution, and they want to try to avoid that.
0: How close are they, and what do you see in there for agriculture?
2: Well, as far as I know... Um, they are very close. Last night Speaker Pelosi when a reporter asked Speaker Pelosi why aren't you done, she pointed out that the bill requires a lot of writing at the end. And you know they have supposedly added these direct payments to individuals for $600 per person, but they would be for family, so a family of 4 would get $2400. Well, you've got to write that into legislation and the lawyers want to be very specific about that. So supposedly that's the hold up at this point. Um, uh, but So I do think that they are very close. In terms of agriculture, as far as I know, there's still $13 billion in aid to farmers. I guess that would be given to the agriculture secretary who would decide how to spend the money. Uh, and then there's another $6 billion in food assistance, uh, uh, mostly a bump up in the benefits under the, the uh, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program for four months some other nutrition aid. Uh, What I haven't been able to figure out is if the $10 billion that they were talking about for broadband is still in there. I have not seen it in the summaries that I have a summary that I saw, uh, so I don't know. I can't attest to that anymore.
0: All right. so we'll keep a close watch on that. Meanwhile, we've talked a lot about Tom Vilsack coming back to USDA and some other key positions getting filled, still waiting to find out about who his choice will be for EPA. Uh, But you've also pointed out that some of the uh, sub-cabinet positions, uh, as they fill out that roster, that's going to be key and give us an indication of what direction they might want to go on some issues such as climate.
2: Uh, yes i uh, I did a column in the National Journal today pointing out that those positions are going to be very important, and that every one of those eight missionaries faces a challenge brought on either by Trump policies or by the coronavirus pandemic and So the choice of those people is going to be very important and the 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 challenge that I see here in the in the uh, in Biden making those choices is that there are alumni from the Obama administration who are very experienced, and I could see them either coming back in at their positions they held before, or being bumped up one level more, one level higher. Uh, but at the same time, there's been a lot of pressure to bring in fresh faces, criticism that that, Trump is, or that Biden is bringing in too many retreads. And so uh, I said, you've got to have a combination of of both fresh faces and experience hands, because the worst thing that would happen is if you have people in charge of government, of a government agency uh, who don't know how to run it. That would be a disaster.
0: And uh, there are a lot of familiar faces back. I mean, Joe Biden said this is not going to be a third Obama term. But when you when you see so many of those former uh, faces back, I've said uh, these politicians, they get recycled like coaches in sports. I mean, they keep coming back.
2: <laughs> that's true but i'll tell you there is one uh one fresh face uh pete Buttigieg, the uh, transportation secretary and yesterday when he gave his remarks after uh, uh biden presented him to the public he said he wants to bring urban and rural together for an urban for not for an urban but for a transportation package uh and both biden and Buttigieg talked about the importance of dealing with the the, the roads, the bridges, the ports, uh, all of the infrastructure on which uh, rural America is so dependent for the shipment of farm products overseas and also for getting the inputs that farmers need to to uh, plant their crops and, and grow the food.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk more about that in our next segment. Finally, on EPA, are you what names are you hearing who could be the next EPA administrator?
2: Uh, you have caught me short because at this moment I cannot remember the name of the of the man. But it, the most likely candidate now, I think, is the North Carolina uh, environmental uh, director. I apologize for the for the noise <laughs> on the, uh, from the fire trucks there. Uh, <laughs> but that's the one. Uh, supposedly, uh, the North Carolinian. Is beating out Mary Nichols, the he- the head of the California Air Resources Board, uh, who was the um, uh, who was the c- top contender before.
0: Okay. Well, hope the fire is not where you're having coffee this morning. So, did they go on by, or no, you're sa- the, you're okay, right?
2: Yeah, the truck the truck has gone on by. Uh, okay. So so it's okay. <laughs>
0: nothing like live radio right from the off the street so that's great Jerry thanks a lot have a very Merry Christmas and uh, we'll talk again
2: great yeah, Merry Christmas to you and to, uh, to uh, all of your listeners
0: all right take care Jerry Hackstrom with the Hagstrom report from our nation's capital uh, right uh, oh, you could if you try to do a live uh, report from Washington DC. Out outside, you're going to get that almost always for sure. All right, coming up next, we'll talk with Mike Steenhook. He's executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. We'll talk about uh, the Water Resources Development Act of 2020. We'll talk about uh, more talk about uh, getting something done on infrastructure. We'll talk about Pete Buttigieg as uh, transportation Se- secretary and much more. Stay with us. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture don't go away more atoms on agriculture coming right up every tuesday we'll be sitting around the table sponsored by chs join us and learn how chs creates the vital connections that empower agriculture helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed we'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together join us around the table every tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're joined now by the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Zippy Duvall. Zippy, let's talk about some of the things happening, the apparent choice of Tom Vilsack to return to USDA in an Biden administration. Your thoughts on that choice? Well, I
2: think that's a great choice. Uh, Secretary Vilsack spent eight years there and, You know, he comes there with great credentials. I mean, as being governor, great state of Iowa, big agricultural uh, state. And then, of course, since since he came out of USDA, spent some time with U.S. Dairy Export Council, and he stayed involved in the agriculture area. So Tom Vilsack's a friend of mine. We have a good relationship. I'm really excited and looking forward to working with him,
3: again, to move agriculture forward.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Atoms on Agriculture.
3: A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To
4: learn more, visit DelaroComplete.us today. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end the good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating, your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
0: Uh, joining us now is Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. have a number of things we want to talk about when it comes to transportation issues and developments. Mike, uh, thanks for joining us. Merry Christmas to you.
1: Hey, Merry Christmas to you too, Mike. It's always good to be with you.
0: All right, let's talk about the Water Resources Development Act of 2020 um, as a near approval, it would seem, on this, uh, what's the significance of it? What should we be watching for here?
1: Well, when when our country endeavors to do something productive on the inland waterway system, and that includes our locks and dams, there's really two uh, legislative steps. Number one is an authorization step, which is what a Water Resources Development Act is. It essentially establishes the blueprint or the, the strategy for what's priority, what's a priority and what's not, where funding will go, what where it won't go. And then the next step is the appropriation step, and that's where checks are actually written to actually fulfill those fulfill that strategy that was established in a Water Resources Development Act or a Warda bill. And so we have a a WADA bill that's that has achieved bipartisan support. It's ready to be enacted, um, but unfortunately it's kind of getting caught up with some of the larger disagreements that are you know quite dominant in Washington DC right now. Uh we passed a word a WERTA bill in 2014, 2016, 2018 where we we the goal is to do it every 2 years and now we have an opportunity to do one in 2020. So we hope Congress embraces this opportunity. It would be important for our industry including agriculture.
0: Yeah, as you've mentioned this these have been passed before. I remember we used to get excited when a word of bill was passed, but then we learned the hard way that, as you said, there's a big difference between passing the bill and getting it funded. So do you think it'll be different this time? You know,
1: I, 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 I'm I, still hopeful that something can actually get done uh, yet this year. Again, there's, there's broad bipartisan support for it. Um, Yeah, and that's a real credit to agriculture, to the barge industry. We've certainly been actively engaged in it to try to raise the awareness of why inland waterways are important, why locks and dams are important. That that is quite an extensive undertaking to try to get people to be educated on that. And you know, we were able to really do that heavy lifting, especially prior to 2014, when was the there would been a there had been a long interlude between passage of a word of bills. And so we, there was a lot of education and now we're kind of have this nice momentum going. We really want to keep it going. So I'm hopeful that something will get passed you know, yet this calendar year.
0: Will there be, will there be, you think, a change in the cost share uh, uh, component of this? And and would that make a difference moving forward?
1: I think there's an excellent opportunity for that. You know, currently when you are either going to build a new lock and dam or do a major rehabilitation of a lock and dam, so more of an expensive undertaking. It's 50% of that funding is provided by the federal government, 50% provided by the revenue generated by a diesel tax on assessed on the barge industry, on the customers. And the current proposal is to shift that cost share to 65% federal government, 35%. The customers, the barge industry, and and all the customers that feed into it. And what we envision that will do is it'll allow so many more of these projects to get completed um, more on time and more within budget. And you're going to have much more of a predictable line of funding. Um, and so that's something that is a big priority for agriculture, for the soybean industry, for the barge industry we're hoping to see that completed, and I think once that happens, you'll see more of these projects get completed, and and that's, you know, we have a big long queue of projects that do need to be completed, and so being able to get those done more expeditiously will be a real benefit to our economy and to agriculture.
0: We're talking with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. So, Mike, we're going into a new administration, and here we go again. We're hearing about infrastructure that's something we're going to try to get done where we got all these people talking about it i remember hearing that four years ago and we were talking about uh, maybe we got uh, maybe that's where they'll come together and really move forward uh you know we didn't see that comprehensive bill in these last four years are you more optimistic now moving forward
1: well, you know, you have to be an optimist when you're, when you're engaging and interfacing with the federal government. And so, you know, our goal is to continue to, make, to prosecute this message and to advocate for the importance of infrastructure. You know, the argument I make is, you know, if, if President-elect Biden wants to get out of the gate and really uh, to really demonstrate that he can work across the aisle and get something meaningful done that the American people care about, the infrastructure is arguably, you know, one of the best opportunities to do that. So, yeah, clearly there's a lot of important issues that are vying for attention uh, for the the president-elect and and a new Congress, you know, obviously coronavirus being first and foremost. But we can do a comprehensive, well-considered infrastructure bill um, at that same time. And I, I think it would just be a really... Great first impression for a new administration. I think they would be well advised to do something like that. So we're we're certainly hopeful for it. You know, the real key for us is to make sure that when we talk about infrastructure, we're not just thinking about high speed rail, or we're not thinking about uh, freeways and things like that, and and, and 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 urban transit, but we're also talking about the infrastructure needs for rural America, and that's rural roads and bridges, and that's highways and interstates, and that's our that's our ports, and all of these inland waterways, that's all of our freight rail, all of these links in our logistics chain that are important to agriculture in rural America. We need to include that as well.
0: Yep, and broadband as well. You know, I remember four years ago, I really thought that infrastructure was the area that the two sides could come together on and show they could work together and and get something done. And uh, it just didn't happen. Politics, again, reared its ugly head. We'll see if it changes any moving forward or not. Uh, your thoughts on Pete Buttigieg as a Secretary of Transportation, what he would bring to that as far as these issues we've just discussed?
1: Yeah, you know, he he doesn't have a very extensive portfolio on infrastructure. You know, clearly being a, a mayor, uh, there is some degree of of infrastructure that is under your portfolio, Um so, but I, 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 I would imagine that you know, given the fact that he is from the Midwest, the uh, state of Indiana, and you know, with his extensive travels that he did, particularly in Iowa during the Iowa caucuses, he was in every corner of the state. So, he clearly, it was impressed upon him that you have to have a both an urban and a rural perspective if you're wanting to be an effective leader in this country, including uh, the Secretary of Transportation. And so I, I think those lessons were really impressed upon him. Uh, I think he, I, I, I'm confident that he understands it. Um, you know, we just really need to keep making sure that we're we remain engaged in, in agriculture to make sure that we've got that multimodal perspective that, Uh, When we're developing a transportation strategy, it includes all of those various modes that are important, not only to urban America, but also to rural America.
0: Mike, as you look back on 2020, from an infrastructure standpoint, a transportation standpoint for agriculture, what was the biggest accomplishment in 2020?
1: I think, you know, continuing to improve the, the largest launching point for soybeans and corn. Uh, that's the Lower Mississippi River. That deepening project is continuing, uh, will be completed that first phase by fall of 2021. Uh, that's a big win, and you know, particularly it came, comes at a very opportune time, given the fact that we're having some real strong export activities for soybeans and for corn for that matter. So the fact that we're improving our number one export region, you know, that's something to really celebrate. And then also the fact that we had these five locks uh, on the Illinois River, that experienced significant rehabilitation work that was exceedingly needed, uh, to see that actually come to fruition, I think was a real win for us as well. And it's just an example that you can't get tired of, of pounding the rock on these issues. You You have to be patient. You have to be persistent. And if you do, you can have some of these successes like we've witnessed this past year. We need to see more of them. Hopefully we will in 2021.
0: Yeah, there's a lot more that needs to be done, as you pointed out. Hopefully, we'll get to that in 2021 and beyond, but uh don't want to overlook what was accomplished in 2020. Not as much as maybe we'd hope, but still some significant uh, uh, improvements and gains that were made. As always, Mike, thanks for keeping us updated. We appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. All right, Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation coalition well coming up next we know it's been a challenging year for many here in 2020 and a lot of people that used to actually help uh, contribute to feeding programs are now in need of that assistance themselves the challenges of feeding the food insecure and helping out uh, this holiday season and during a pandemic and beyond we'll talk about that with Feeding America that's coming up next stay with us you're listening to AOA Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Atoms on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Atoms on Agriculture coming right up.
3: A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving, the inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected, and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit DelaroComplete.us today.
5: You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Raw with a market check here on this Thursday's trading session. Grain markets are higher in trade Thursday with steady gains across the board following the export sales data that was released this morning. On the board of trade, March corn trading a penny and a half cent higher at 4.28 and a half cent. The May contract up a penny and a half cent at 4.31 and a quarter. March soybeans up eight and a half cent at 11.96 and a half cent. The November contract up three cents at 10.65 and three quarters. For the wheat's March Chicago wheat trading six and three quarters of a cent higher at 6.05 and a quarter. Kansas City wheat march up four and a fraction at 5.65 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat march up four at 5.62 and three quarters. Cattle futures and cash markets are moving in opposite directions Thursday. The ability to test short-term resistant levels in February live cattle contracts is being tempered by actuals. Cash market pressure. Wednesday was a boost of energy that live cattle contracts needed and was a shot of hope for southern feedlots that are yet to sell cattle this week. Meanwhile, the feeder cattle market kept rallying in typical fashion. On the Board of Trade, February live cattle trading 35 cents lower at 113.42, the April contract down 20 at 117.65. January feeder cattle down 7 cents at 140.77, the March contract up 7 at 142.05. For lean hogs, the February contract down 22 at 65.70. The April contract down 25 at 69.17. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 128 points. The Nasdaq Composite up 65. The S&P 500 up 15. Crude oil is up 57 cents at 48.57 per barrel. The U.S. dollar is trending lower. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network.
6: I'm Kirsten Rall. a message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.
0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know.
4: Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: And welcome back. Well, it's a busy holiday season, and sometimes uh, your plans have to change. We thought we were going to be talking with Feeding America, but something has come up there, so they're not going to be able to join us now. We'll try either tomorrow or sometime soon as we try to, well, well, now that's how quickly things change. Now, now she's back. Carrie Calvert's with us from Feeding America, Managing Director of of Nutrition and Ag Government uh, Relations. Carrie, thank you for joining us. Good to have you with us.
7: Thank you so much. I'm so sorry I missed your call. Um, There are a lot of last minute uh, calls going on as Congress is trying to get a, a COVID relief bill done. And, um, We've, we've been dialing to make our case.
0: Yep. I know it's a busy, busy time. I'm glad you're well, glad you've joined us. All right, Carrie, let's um, let's talk about the challenge. We talked back before Thanksgiving about the challenge always in a holiday season, but especially during a pandemic year, the demand, the need is greater than ever. Give us an update where we're at going into uh, the end of this year.
7: Uh, sure. I am happy to. So, We're continuing to see um, a significant increase in demand for for food assistance across the country Um, as uh, as we inch closer to, um, you know, uh, people's unemployment insurance running out. Or we've seen, you know, additional um, uh, weakness in the job market in communities across the country. uh, Families are worried and they're turning to food banks more and more to help them uh, feed their families.
0: We've talked about this before, that many people who in the past have been uh, donating to Feeding America and, and the different feeding programs across the country, now many of them are in need of assistance, aren't they?
7: That's right. Uh, we've been, um, you know, serving our, our food banks and the, the agencies they work with to serve people to, um, you know, try to, try to track and, and understand the demand for assistance. You know, there's a year-over-year, year, there's an average 60% increase in demand. And when we ask people, 40% of people coming to us have, haven't had to seek food assistance in, in the past. Um, so, so these are people that, you know, were working, were able to make ends meet before the pandemic, but haven't been able to do so since then.
0: So the demand is up. What about the donations?
7: So we definitely have seen a, a really strong response from communities and, and companies nationwide. Um, you know, uh, we are a generous country and um, the people have been definitely uh, giving more financially than they have in the past, uh, but it is not enough for us to meet the projected increase in demand. You know, we distributed um, 5 billion meals last year that um, if you put it in pounds of food, that's, um, you know, I guess 6.3 billion pounds of food, you know, so uh, demand is doubling, but we don't are, are not projecting that we can double the amount of meals that we serve each year. You know, um, the, the amount of donations that are coming in just aren't enough for us to, um, to double the amount of, of food we're able to provide over the next year. So uh you know, we're, this is an unprecedented crisis that we're in, and it's gonna take a multi-pronged approach. Uh, we are so thankful for people that are getting involved in their communities, whether it's to volunteer at their local food bank to do a, to pack boxes or to do a, a no-contact food distribution. We're so thankful for those that are hosting food drives, and, and we're thankful for those that can afford to give financially. Um, you know, we're working to urge Congress to do their part too. Um, you know, increases in, in federal nutrition programs like SNAP or, you know, school school meals to help kids get meals or, um, you know, uh, emergency food for food banks or Meals on Wheels. All of these programs are, are proven to help in times of need, and, um, you know, we need that now.
0: Carrie, ha- how much has the pandemic impacted the number of volunteers and workers that you have? I mean, I would think some people have been leery to go out and and be able to do some of the things that they had been doing or would like to do as far as volunteering. Right.
7: It is, it has been a challenge for us to have enough volunteers, uh, for sure. We want to make sure um, that we're able to keep um, people that are volunteering with us safe. So we've had to, you know, redo our volunteer protocol so that we're maintaining um, social distancing in, um, in warehouses. Um, and uh, we also um, you know, have seen less volunteers able to come in. A lot of our volunteers are, are retired and uh, you know, they're heeding the advice of public health officials to limit their outside contact right now. So uh, when we uh, surveyed our food banks uh, this past October, um, 60% of Feeding America food banks said that they need more volunteers and can accept more volunteer support. So um, your listeners can go to feedingamerica.org and find a Feeding America food bank member in their area. And um, if they're able to volunteer and want to, uh, can reach out and find out how they can.
0: We're talking with Carrie Calvert with uh, Feeding America. And Kerry, unlike a lot of um, issues, uh, challenges, and crisis where, you know, you, you can see it's a short-term. You you can contribute, you can donate, you can help, and, and you see, well, okay, we're over this and we can move on. Uh, there's been a recovery. But when it comes to hunger, this is ongoing and, and it's a daily situation and, and meals need to be delivered and people are in need of that food every day and it's just ongoing. So this is a long-term issue, isn't it?
7: You're right. Uh, It absolutely is. So, you know, 37 million people were food insecure before COVID-19. We estimate that could increase this year to 50 million people. Um, And, you know, uh, we expect and we hope that as the economy improves, as vaccine distribution rolls out, thankfully, um, and as, uh, you know, jobs return to the economy, that many of those that need our services for the first time this year are going to be able to uh, return to full-time employment and and not need to turn to us. But for the 37 million Americans that were already food insecure, you know, whether they were struggling to find a job or couldn't work due to illness or disability, or were the working poor, you know, making uh, uh, too much to qualify for programs like SNAP but not enough to, to pay all their bills, um, it, you know, it's going to take longer in this economic recovery. Recessions normally hurt um, uh, people uh, that are lower income and that are uh, less securely employed. And we don't expect this one to be any different. Um, It's going to disproportionately impact those that were already struggling. And um, I I suspect uh, it's going to be a a little while before we uh, fully understand um, what support might be needed uh, you know, in the more long-term range of, of the recovery from the pandemic to help those
0: people. Adding to this has been the situation with schools. Some are in session, but some are not. You have the remote learning at some of those, but uh, that means they're not there for school lunches, school breakfasts, and that's that's added to this uh, challenge, hasn't it?
7: Yeah, it really has. You know, um, Congress has provided flexibility so that and waivers to make it easier for schools to operate lunch programs so that, you know, even if the schools are closed or the kids are doing distance learning, they can go pick up meals for a few days at a time. Um, Congress has also provided authority for USDA to um, provide pandemic EBT cards. And so kids that are, um, were already participating in free and reduced price lunch, their families will get an EBT card so their families can buy what they need to feed their kids for lunch at the store. Uh, all that's helpful, but uh, we know that it's going to be hard to make sure everyone is reached, and um, you know the uncertainty of schools being able to open or close um, due to the pandemic just adds to that uncertainty.
0: Well, Carrie, here at the holiday season, uh, I think people are th- do tend to think more about helping and giving, and hopefully that'll carry on throughout th- throughout the year. But here we are in a holiday season. What are the best ways people can help uh, those that are in need?
7: Uh, the best thing for people to do is go to feedingamerica.org. They can donate. They can find their local food bank if they'd like to make a local donation. Uh, they can sign up to volunteer with us or with their local food bank. They can sign up to help us advocate with Congress to, you know, increase, uh, you know, food relief in this time of need. Uh, So I think if uh, people can go to feedingamerica.org, they will be able to find a way to get involved nationally or locally. And, um, you know, people across this country are are so generous and it has been so heartwarming to see the the outpouring of support for people right now. And, um, you know, I think everyone recognizes that this is a crisis and that we need to pull together as a country and you know i hope that sentiment can continue and is there um you know for not only the short term but the long term uh, of this recovery as well
0: yeah we need to remember uh not only is the need there during the holiday season and during a pandemic but it'll be there after the holiday season's over and and once we move past this pandemic as, as you pointed out the need was there even before uh We heard about coronavirus, so the need is going to continue, and we encourage people to help. Carrie Calvert with Feeding America. Carrie, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it.
7: Thank you so much. Have a great holiday season.
0: All right. Carrie Calvert with Feeding America. Please, if you can, um, every every bit helps. A a donation or if you can volunteer at your local food bank or food pantry, it would really help. Stay with us. More coming up here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
8: You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Do you know how to keep food safe at home?
6: Clean, separate, cook, and chill.
9: The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to separate. First, use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Raw meat should never touch food that won't be cooked. Then, always keep raw meat, poultry, seafood, and their juices away from other foods in the shopping cart. And store raw meat, poultry, and seafood in a container or on a plate in the fridge so juices won't drip on other foods. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean,
10: separate, cook, and chill.
9: For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-Hotline.
0: I'm Mike Adams and this is Best in Class, brought to you by Bayer DeLaRo Complete Fungicide. Today we're talking with Randy Myers, agronomic solutions manager for Bayer. I want to learn more about DeLaRo Complete. Let's look at it from a corn perspective and a soybean perspective as far as what uh, Delaro Complete will protect against. Let's start with corn. Well, in corn, you got the whole range of all the important diseases that are out there. All the major
10: foliar diseases, where you got gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight. You got rust, both common and southern rust, tar spot. We got some great great data showing how well it performed against tar spot. So we have the whole range of diseases. You're you're not going to get, like I said, always an increase in with Delaro Complete over Delaro because Delaro's already that good. But because of the long residual activity that SDHIs bring and the extra, the mode of action working in a different way on the pathogens, it lends itself to a higher degree of consistency. So when you look at all the data points, we get a yield increase from the larle complete over the larle.
0: Just because
10: as you average across all those conditions, you start to see the return on your investment.
0: And on soybeans? Soybeans,
10: Again, all the important diseases, but the one that's so problematic is white mold because it's, it's not all active ingredients work well against the, the the fungus that causes white mold in soybeans. And what we've got now is we've got two important active ingredients: the SDHI fluopyram and the triazole component, the prothiophanazole. Each of them is very strong against white mold, and they're both systemic, moving within the plant. So what you get is a high degree of activity on that particular pathogen. For your other diseases, such as frog eye leaf spot and brown
0: spot, it's just very solid performing product. This has been Best in Class, brought to you by Bayer DeLauro Complete Fungicide. I'm Mike Adams. Recently on Atoms on Agriculture, joining us is Brock Slaybaugh, Senior Vice President, Member Services for the National Rural Health Association. We're hearing about uh, shortages of of beds and ICUs, the surge that's taking place. What can you tell us about how the system is holding up?
1: We are experiencing some significant outbreaks of COVID in rural communities nationwide. These outbreaks are resulting in some states having positive testing rates over 50%, which is incredibly concerning as it relates to the number of individuals that will later need hospitalization, intensive care. And so our intensive care units are where I think we're having the most concern right now. That's where they're filling up. We're seeing 85, 95% occupancies in those units, uh, often just one or two beds away from overflow.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. And we're joined now by Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian, good to talk with you again. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you.
2: Oh,
11: Mike, uh, Merry Christmas to you, assuming I won't talk to you next week. There's so much going on in this industry. Maybe we will. But uh, Merry Christmas to you and and all of your listeners as well.
0: Well, a lot happening right now. Um, They're working in Washington, supposedly getting close on a COVID aid package but I'm also seeing and hearing uh, reports and and rumors that uh, there may not be anything in there that would directly help the ethanol industry. Is that what you're hearing?
11: We're talking with uh, congressional staff sort of around the clock and trying to um, influence the outcome of the stimulus bill. Right now, we believe the word processors might be included in the text of the the bill itself in terms of directing USDA to make CCC payments available uh, to processors of agricultural products. My concern with that is that USDA Secretary Perdue has said he needs more specific direction from Congress, and so we're trying to work with those Hill staffers to get something more definitive included, maybe mentioning biofuel producers ethanol and biodiesel producers, um, but things are really fluid, and I, I guess I don't know how it's going to shake out, um, but we're, we're working hard on it because, it, and, and I know that I might come back to regret this, but it's looking like they're going to get to a deal on an overall stimulus toward the end of this week.
0: But language, as you point out, is so critical. If they just say processors, that probably won't do it for the ethanol industry. It needs to be more specific than that.
11: That's correct. Um, Secretary Purdue has been very uh, direct about that, that the word processors doesn't get the job done. And you and I have talked about this. He's in a tough spot because there are so many different constituencies in line seeking aid from USDA, from the Commodity Credit Corporation. And it's kind of an issue of supply and demand. The demand for aid outstrips the supply he has available with the CCC fund and so that's why we really do need Congress to be more specific um, if they can get there with the language in the stimulus bill.
0: We're talking with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Meanwhile, we have another issue and that is with Brazil. Uh, Brazil is going to put a 20% tariff on American ethanol as talks have broken down between the two countries. Uh, Brian, what are your thoughts on this and the significance of its impact on uh, the U.S. ethanol industry? Most people or many people probably don't realize uh, Brazil is a key market, export market for U.S. ethanol.
11: Such an important market. The largest, the most important export destination for our industry last year. It was right up there, has been right up there with Canada so far this year as our top export destination, but this will effectively close the door um, to any significant volumes of our product going down there. And the timing, you know, really couldn't be worse. We're going to see production and use fall domestically in the U.S. by about 2 billion gallons. We lost the Chinese export market, obviously due to the trade wars, and we shipped about 200 million gallons, a little shy of that, to Brazil so far this year. And so if you take that away, if, if this 20% across-the-board tariff remains in place uh, over the course of next year, you know we're, we're probably taking most of that 200 million-gallon market away, and so it really hurts.
0: This is like kicking an industry when it's down. I mean, 2020 has been bad enough. <laughs> For the ethanol industry then you add this
11: you know it really is and i just i i I shake my head and it's it's at some point the damage is going to be permanent you know we we're we know some producers uh, will not come back from all of this damage whether it's the small refinery exemptions that we've talked about time and time again or just the impact of the shutdowns due to the pandemic that really hurt us badly, or some of these export destinations falling away. Um, the 200 plus ethanol plants that produce over 16 billion gallons in 2019, the industry is going to look you know, dramatically different in 2021 and beyond. Some of these folks will not be around.
0: Yeah, that's where we're at with the industry because even with an improvement hopefully in the economy next year as we get past COVID and and driving, uh, you know, gets whatever normal will be, but at least increases and fuel demand consumption uh, increases, that's not going to be enough to save some of these is what you're saying. Some of these plants just aren't going to make it.
11: That's right. Um, And so you see a number of these ethanol plants that will shut down for good because You know, the the marketplace just isn't there demanding uh, the the production, and so our our supply-demand imbalance is significant. You're going to see uh, these plants shut down. Hundreds of millions of bushels of corn um, will not be purchased as a result. The ripple effect is going to be significant. We're going to see high-skill, high-wage jobs in some of these rural communities um, go away. We're going to see the tax base shrink in these communities, and the, the economic uh, benefits that are generated from these plants go away. And then it's going to hit the farmers that are supplying corn uh, to those facilities as well, and the ripple effects that has. And so that's why we're we're clamoring to be included in the stimulus package, um, and and we're just going to keep at it. And we know this probably isn't the last bite at the apple. We we believe incoming. President uh, Biden will want to work with Congress on a new package, but we've waited a long time, and and some of the even if we get a stimulus, I think for some of these producers, it, it very well will be too late for them.
0: Yeah, a real challenging year ahead uh, for the ethanol industry, that is for sure. Well, Brian, thank you very much for the update. We'll watch and see these developments. A lot, as you said, lots going on. We'll stay in touch. Thank you.
11: Thank you, Mike.
0: Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, joining us right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
3: A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected, and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit DelaroComplete.us today.